Hi, welcome to the Family Business Podcast. I'm Russ Hayworth, and I'm a family business advisor, as well as the host of this show. In each episode, you'll find informative and engaging conversations with experts from around the world, covering a range of topics relevant to family businesses and family offices. The show is supported by Family Business UK, the largest organization in the UK dedicated solely to supporting, representing, and championing family business. To find out more about their work and how to become a member, visit their website, familybusinessuk.org. Right, let's get on with the show. Well, hello and welcome back to this two-part episode of the Family Business Podcast. We're kicking off part two where we left off in part one. So if you haven't listened to part one of this interview, I highly recommend heading back and listening to that first we do get stuck straight into something that we had discussed in part one so it might not make a huge amount of sense if you're diving in to part two um, we continue the discussion with max with avery and with emily from pnc private bank hawthorne and we are discussing all of the considerations and things to think about in terms of selling the family business and then what to do once you have sold the family business. This is part two of the two-part episode. So again, head back to part one if you haven't listened to that already, then come back here and listen to this. Um, But for those who have heard part one, enjoy part two. Max, as well, I want to come back to something you mentioned earlier. You you shared an example of somebody who had regretted their sale because the terms of their own out weren't going to be met and and obviously that that can be a negative implication of those kinds of um, arrangements but but there's positive elements that can be explored around things like earnouts as part of a transition rather than it being kind of a you you know you sell the business on on a friday and monday morning the locks are changed that that can be a a quite a sudden transition for some so there are ways in which earnouts can be built in can you speak a little bit to it in terms of some of the the merits and advantages that can come from that Sure. Yeah, that's. I think that's a great question. Um, you know, earnouts generally mean that the owner and probably the management team are still going to be working at the business for some period of time. Naturally, a buyer is going to want to offload some of their risk onto the seller uh, by tying part of the sales price to performance. So earnouts can certainly guarantee continued profitability and, and growth for the buyer. For the seller, it can mean a smoother landing strip since the day after closing, they're still running a company, albeit as an employee rather than an owner, but uh, it, it gives them a, a, a longer landing strip uh, to uh, uh, to figure out what the next day looks like, the day that they don't come back uh, to the business and, and you know, their key is taken. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 I will throw this caution, you know, if, if, if earnouts are going to be a part of that agreement, gosh, negotiate the heck out of them. Um, make sure that that they are realistic. Um, I, I think that a business owner can, you know, in in the bravado that comes with selling the business and negotiating that uh, that uh, sales price, you you can. It's not difficult to fall into a trap of of 
overestimating what you're able to achieve. So I, I would just say bad decisions or unrealistic goals are a chief obstacle in, in avoiding uh, seller's regret. So uh, if you are going to include earnouts, and, and many business owners do include earnouts in the uh, in the sales, uh, the sale of their business, uh, just make sure that they are realistic and that you can attain them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and we've reached a point with the the. F- the fictional family that we've um, created for for the purposes of this recording, where the, the sales happen, they've had lots of conversations, kind of in the lead up to to that sale. That's exploring what happens next, and I'm keen to understand uh, again. Perhaps Emily, you can lead off on this one around the exploration and preparation of what's next. Now I know the reason we're speaking to all three of you is that all three of you would be included in those kind of conversations. It's not done in a silo. We, you know, someone asked Max the question, go, no, sorry, that's not me. And then that's it. It's kind of it, the, the benefit of having a team around you is to allow that. But particularly from your perspective at the moment, Emily, how do you help families explore what could come next? I just love how you're empowering families around this because that's such an ideal scenario, right? Mm-hmm. Because so often we experience the exact opposite. We experience those silos, right? And um, there's a lot of reasons for why those can happen. So uh, it's more about like educating with the other advisors that are involved and um, the the teams and the family around why having a more holistic, um, I like to think of it as like a tapestry almost, right? Where it's all woven together. And if you're only looking at a few threads, you're missing out and you're going to have some holes. And so it helps people like understand the value of it. And one of the reasons why um, uh, I think Max was saying something about Hawthorne, our role at Hawthorne is so powerful within the PNC private bank structure is we have this um, team that's nationally oriented uh, around the family office services and the other investments. And then um, with Max's team, with the corporate advisory, bridging the, the more um, tactical structures that happen within the commercial bank and the corporate bank with the private bank, uh, allowing for this weaving in. And then um, what we do is with um, even with risk management and then with working with the wealth strategists, we have these uh, people on the ground, right, in the local markets that are the main street aspect of our bank, that it's so personal. And you can come in and you can talk to this person you've been working with with your banking for years. And um, as you're looking at grappling with these more complex issues and these bigger concerns, that you feel really taken care of, boots on the ground right there with these this expertise that can come in um, as needed based on what's been identified. And one of the things that uh, we love to consider is like the the client, um, the the family business owner that's looking at a sale and getting ready to sell is at the center, is at the hub. And then we have uh, these suite of services that are available. And we have a, a group that really looks at what's what do you need right now? What are you going to need going forward? What do you so that it's not overwhelming? That we do it in uh, you know which of the threads we need to pull on now. And always keeping the bigger tapestry in mind. And so they feel really taken care of. And we are addressing so many different aspects of what they need to be looking at. And whenever there's something more complex in front of us, we like to give analogies that make it easier to think about it. So everybody we work with knows how to drive a car. 
when you first sat down in that driver's seat for your first driving lesson, that was a very complex console. And you had to learn all these different things and you had to manage all these different things. And it was very overwhelming and complex. And now we do it without even thinking about it. And, you know, while we're texting, while we're drinking a soda, while, you know, it's just, but there is that learning curve. And so helping people by normalizing it and then looking at, okay, you're sold the business, you've done this preparation, hopefully there's been some preparation. And then there's this, what is our leadership and education component we want to do for the family members that have just received this windfall. And that windfall awareness can be huge um, so that everyone is empowered around not falling prey to what we were talking about earlier and having a real sense of, oh, there's a huge potential here with this money. And I'd love for Avery to jump in in terms of the impact that can happen and the longevity that's possible uh, that makes it expand way further out than you can imagine. Thanks. Um, I think what makes Hawthorne unique is that if you look at this business, and we've all been in this business a while, <laughs> two, two plus decades at least, and um, each, and what we were doing 20 years ago, 25 years ago, was incredibly transactional, incredibly focused on hard and soft skills. We really sort of defined them that way. And I loved your... Um, your interview of the Wealth 3.0 authors. I thought it was excellent. And I think what they're talking about is the future of this business and the traditional family office structure within a bank, within a within any sort of institution like ours has, has been very transactional. It's been custody, lending. You know, we don't want to advise. We don't want to step on toes. And what has shifted is that not every family has the experts they need. And we recognize that we certainly don't want to step on toes, but we do have expertise to bring to the table as needed. So we're very thoughtful and very um, curious about how that can work for each family. Like Max said, you've met one family, you've met one family. And so as we're going through that process, obviously we have to work together to make sure we are comprehensive and, and really have a good top topographic map of how that family is working and could work. And to Emily's point, helping them feel good about where they've been, where they are, where they're going is absolutely key to making good decisions. So if you don't do that, the structure, the right structure will not flow and you will end up making reactionary choices around various, um, whether it's foundation versus staff or, you know, seemingly innocuous choices could be a real problem right? You have less choices with one, you have, you know, we stack a lot of vehicles together. And if you don't have that sense of purpose on the front end, it tends to skew the outcome. And I'll, I'll add too that a lot of families we work with use the creation of a donor advised fund to uh, begin some of the education around what does it mean to be a savvy investor and to um, be a good steward of that wealth and to um, have that impact start to happen. And uh, build a comfort level around talking about money related to the purpose and impact that you want to have. And if they also have a larger family foundation, they can also look at that in terms of governance and in terms of how do we make decisions together as a family. And so you can build in education and leadership components within the structures that um, you decide to use. Right. It's, thank you, Emily. <laughs> I, I think as well, we're, you're obviously all from the, the same organization um that's not always the case with with families that they have kind of a whole um sort of coherent team that are, are working 
with them. And I think part of, of what we're trying to highlight is the importance of getting advice and input from multiple different areas, not for it to be led by a particular uh, ambition around, right, we've got to sell this business, but let's ignore what's going to happen next or how we then deal with communication internally and externally. It's about how do we take a much bigger picture view of all the different facets that are going to be impacted through this and how do we manage that best? Because we're kind of preaching to the choir a little bit here with, with the, the four of us, but the, the outcomes that come from that are f- likely to be more beneficial than if you operate in a siloed manner and if you don't know the areas because perhaps your legal team don't have access to, to the same uh, level of support internally as as they would at, um, at PNC Hawthorne. But, but in terms of the, the benefits and merits of broadening that conversation out amongst advisors, there's a really important role for the advisors to play here as well as the families seeking that advice. And the kind of... Um, the, the collaboration and, and the operating amongst disciplines that, that is needed in order to get to that positive outcome. And let's say, I'm, I assume I'm preaching to the choir, given that that's how you operate, but I don't think we can understate the importance of that as an approach. No, I think we really saw, I mean, if you just look at the way we were practicing this type of uh, client engagement 20, 25 years ago, it was incredibly siloed, incredibly... Um, we were lucky to have good relationships with lawyers and CPAs and one or two staff members. And then we really had to fight to get certain conversations going. Whereas I think the zeitgeist has changed, but also our structure lends itself to that very holistic, rather than giving them, you know, the menu of options, pick one or pick five, we really sort of have a very comprehensive, uh, analysis process and um, analytical process that helps the family begin to prioritize. Like Emily said, this is, these are our top, top concerns. Now this is our next phase. So they really begin to have some, at least a structure in their mind about, okay, we can breathe. This is going to be fine. We've got a process we're going. And that's, that peace of mind is huge. Yeah. I I think I could give an analogy of where it doesn't work or where it's not coordinated where it is in the silos uh, back from my law practice days where uh, a client, um, they, they needed some liquidity. And so it was, you know, and they had a bunch of cash sitting in their business. And so their financial advisor sitting in this silo said, well, you can just distribute that money from your, you know, they had to pay taxes. That's what they needed the, the liquidity for. You can just distribute out of your out of your corporation and and pay your taxes with that. Oh, that sounds like a great idea. They did it, and doing that violated the terms of the the covenant on the loan that they had with the bank, um, and so it it blew up a transaction as a result. That's not going to happen where it's a it's coordinated advice, and and that's you know again what I think the value of of what we do is is as as Emily pointed out that that technical side of what's going on with the business, what's uh, what the, the transactions that the business is doing, coordinating that with what you want to accomplish as a family, that is so often ignored and, and not addressed. And that's, I, I think that's what leads to regret. And we 
definitely highlight the importance of collaborating. And one of the reasons why, um, like what you were saying, Russ, makes it is so important is that um, people who are looking at selling a business are going to need to choose who's the right team for them around it, right? And there's M&A specialists and then there's the PR folks. And um, you know, at PNC, we've, we've actually partnered with some really important um, about players within those fields and Max can speak more to that. And then we also uh, cultivate these relationships with um, you know other advisors so that whoever the family that we're working with has chosen, they know that we are here to support that endeavor and to work really closely with them. And then internally, we uh, collaborate really um, deliberately around any clients that we're working with that are looking at selling a family business. And we work not just within collaboratively within the private bank, but with commercial and corporate as well. And uh, I think that that's one of the things that we see right out the gate is you want everybody to be on the same page in terms of what's uh, happening and what's needed in each step along the journey so that the that whole family system is really well taken care of and the business gets to thrive during the sale and afterwards too. I, Max, I was thinking maybe you could highlight more about specific collaborations we do. So far, yeah. So, so for example, in our, in our family, and, and I, I look at that as, uh, uh, you, you know, the, the tools that we can, we can pull out of our toolbox to, to utilize uh, when advising uh, our clients on, on transition topics. But, uh, but we have access to Harris Williams. Harris Williams is a, an investment bank. It's a top investment bank. Um, and, and uh, the, the, the folks there have have been invaluable as we uh, as we work with business owners uh, and and uh, talking through you know what's what do what what's going on in the M and A uh, it, you know landscape uh, what what's happening in the industry I mean they bring all kinds of resources uh, to the table to to be able to just discuss what a transition or transition planning might might look like. Uh, ESOP Solutions is another another great uh, tool that, that we can we can utilize. Um, uh, Julie Williams and her team uh, with advisory corporate advisory center uh, just offered just brilliant advice. You know, uh, investment bank level advice uh, before there there's ever before you get to the point of of needing to sell the business. So there's just uh, so many fantastic resources that. Again, part of the same family, part of the same community that we can uh, rely on to uh, to bring good advice to our clients. Yeah, uh, and again, that highlights the value of a collaborative uh, approach, which I, I I know is part of the kind of ethos of, of Wealth 3.0, which again uh, I think we're all uh, strong advocates for. Uh, Avery, I'm, I'm keen to explore something with you around the the role of purpose and identifying purpose we've spoken everyone here has spoken about the kind of identity and purpose that can be tied up within the family business for, for many different members of, of the family they're kind of who they are and what they stand for is represented by the business how do you go about helping them to understand a purpose beyond that in in terms of going I'm now not this, but that does that shouldn't be a negative thing. How, how do you help them see the, the the opportunities beyond the sale um, side of things? 
So great, great example recently, um, working with a family member of, of an existing longtime client. And this is the, the next generation who's selling his business. And in doing so, a little apprehensive about what he and his wife and their children were going to embark upon in this second phase, this next phase. And um, skeptically, he entered into our Amplify Impact process, which I was grateful for. He trusted us. And uh, the first piece is um, creating an impact statement. And we walk we walked them through five questions that we handpicked for them. And these five questions can get pretty deep if they answer them fully, right? Uh, and in that process, you know, he really opened up and we were able to draw out the commonalities between all of the answers. We had each individual family member answer these questions. We we're able to draw the commonalities. And so for that in this case, patriarch, to see what he, his wife, and their children have in common and the way he has raised them and the way he has built his business and now is about to sell his business um, was gratifying for him. He had not, this is not something he would have done on his own. This is not something that, you know, he could have bought, frankly, an experience he could have bought, but he really got into it to his credit. And at the end of that, not only did we have a very robust impact statement, but the next the next section of that process was about not what do you want to fund or what what do you think your purpose is? It was what capital do you want to deploy to what end? What problems do you want to solve? And in going at it that from that direction, we got to his purpose and their collective purpose. And each one has a little, you know, like Emily said, we use staff to sort of help everybody sort of execute their own their own mini purpose, right? Their own their own side sidebar, but their collective purpose became very clear as we were talking about problems to solve, capital to deploy, and that leads into the different. We explore at least nine structures across for profit and nonprofit, and in doing that, it was just so obvious the the, the structures they needed to stack, why they were stacking them how they were going to deploy that capital, which which assets to deploy in each. It just fell right into place. And so for him, exploring his purpose became, uh, in his own words, far more enlightening than he anticipated. It wasn't, um, it wasn't therapy. <laughs> we we're not trying to have a therapy session, but it really ended up being um, illuminating for him. And then to have it have immediate action and, and, um, and uh, structure was gratifying for him. And he even came back and he said, because he was one of those who said, I don't want ESG. I don't want any responsible investing. And at the end of it, we do a root cause analysis. And at the end of it, he said, wait, I do need some mission related investments. How do I do that so that I like it? <laughs> like, that's the whole point. What do you want? So that was, that was gratifying for us as well. That's just such a great example of when you actually get grounded in who you are, what matters to you, what is the purpose behind the decisions you're making, you can find that uh, you actually can change the trajectory of how you're going to go about doing it. That's great. Uh, and another area I'd like to to just explore a little, uh, which again, wel welcome input from everybody, but probably start on, on Avery's kind of it, with, within Avery's role is the decision to follow impact and, and philanthropic activities, the decision between whether that's done on a collective basis, an individual basis, or, or a blend in between. Because, I mean, we've created quite a nice scenario with the family. We're working uh, on, a, as a case study here, that 
everything's been really smooth. They've discussed everything that's gone along. They've made a decision. It's best interest of everyone to, to sell the business. Sometimes the sale can come about because the family can't work together. Therefore, forcing them down the route of, right, now you've sold one thing, you've now got to manage this other thing to, together could be, uh, wouldn't be appealing to some, I'm sure. But how do you go about exploring the, the role that uh, it can be either individually or, or collective or a combination in terms of the philanthropy and impact side of things? That's a wonderful question. As Emily referred to earlier, we do a pretty comprehensive intake process, for lack of a better phrase. Um, we, we work with the family's wealth strategists and, and banking team in order to understand who they are before we ever actually talk to them. We do as much pre-work as we possibly can and then have an open-ended, a set of open-ended questions that we ask them in our first meeting to get at some of those answers. So more often than not, frankly, families have strife. It's just the nature of family. And more often than not, um, how they deal with it is going to be incredibly unique and different. And um, most most often throughout the Amplify Impact process, we will acknowledge that and, and work with maybe we may do two separate processes or multiple processes. So different branches get to have their say and feel comfortable um, in, in what they're revealing because they may not feel comfortable with everyone in their family. So we will, we will batch it, if you will. And in doing that, I think we, we're really trying to make sure that everyone has time, voice, comfort, all of the things that they need to really explore what they need to explore. And frankly, the structure will, will follow from there. Um, there's nothing worse than a patriarch dealing with the situation right now than a, than a patriarch, matriarch, wealth creator forcing upon his or her inheritors uh, a family foundation or a family trust or you know, a collective family structure that they have to work together to do. It's just a recipe for disaster. That, that whole thing of, you know, I'm going to create a family foundation so they, they have to work together and they will like it. And that's just never going to work. <laughs> so, um, so we immediately, you know, disarm that theory and begin to sort of, that's why we focus on impact versus values in, in so many cases, because we can back into values through impact where there, where that strife exists and, and give everybody a voice. And one of the ways that we support families in avoiding that um, un, unfortunate and unpleasant outcome that, that Avery was describing is we have a uh, family success factors assessment. So it's a very simple uh, way to do a 360 within the whole family. And we've identified seven success factors based on the research that's been done over the years with families that have really been successful in terms of uh, what does it mean to stay harmonious and relating and having continued wealth and um, resources um, as opposed to blowing up and losing it all to legal battles, right? So in those success factors, when you have all the adults in the family, including in-laws, because they have a lot uh, that they can provide in terms of awareness, you get to have a good sense of, oh, where are we as a family? And oftentimes the um, the wealth creators uh can have a sense of oh yeah we we have really clear communication and everybody knows everything and we're and they know it really well and they're grounded in it and they have the sense well I've told them but telling is different than 
actual communication and listening and finding out the input and finding out where the other pieces are. And having that 360 can be so helpful because then we can provide a picture for the family that no one person is being called out, but it shows where there might be some gaps in knowledge or where there might be some areas to focus attention on that can be so helpful for the family as they're going through the Amplify Impact process as well. So we work a lot in conjunction with each other around these um, issues, again, so that we're weaving in um, the why and uh, with the how in terms of what they want to accomplish. And I will say a lot of times, uh, well, many times, Emily and I will have this conversation around which needs to come first with this family. So we'll work with the local team and say, does this family need to explore family systems first in order to, to, to explore their impact? Or do they need to explore impact first and back into family systems, right? And, and every family is different. So that, that dovetail is, is very real and, and operationally significant for sure. Yeah. And with one of the success factors being shared decision-making, it's like you get a lot of data, right? Like, oh, this desire to have everybody working together does not play out in terms of what we understand about how the family's doing, what skills would need to be developed to be able to do that, and what else could it look like, and where is their interest, and it does make such a difference for them. In terms of the elements that we've covered uh, again we we said at the outset that this is a snapshot of certain elements of the sale process the information education that that we uh suggest families explore and as as we've covered a couple of times each family is individual the circumstances will be individual the motivations will be individual so th this is to give families an idea and, and concepts around what to to explore but before we bring the episode to a conclusion i'd just like to to hear from each of you around anything that we perhaps haven't covered that, again, you would kind of um, uh, expect or, or suggest that families um, explore. Or, and I'll give you a choice on this in case we've covered everything that you think we they, they should. Um, what areas do, as a starting point do, do you think would be um, most useful? So um, uh, I, I'm not going to name names and put you on the spot straight away. If anyone wants to come in with an answer and give others the time to think, let's do that. Um, I, so I, I'm not sure if this is exactly on point, but I, I think it's it's worth noting again, you know, particularly under the U.S. tax regime, it takes years to plan uh, a good transition. And I think the most successful business transitions that I've been involved with were people who came to us before they ever had an LOI on the table, before they ever even considered selling to a third party or transitioning ownership to their children. And they just wanted to start the planning process to understand what to do. And, and, and so I, I think that's maybe the best takeaway is start early. You don't have to be so many business owners we come in contact with say, I don't need business succession planning. I don't want to retire. I'm never going to retire. Uh, and and that's not what it's about. It, it's about planning because there will be an exit at some point. One way or another, there's going to be an exit. And your toes will be either parallel to the ground or perpendicular to the ground when that happens. So going through that planning process is vital to make sure that your family can do what you intend for them to do. Well, I'll go next and let Emily be last because I do think that uh, 
what we do there is super important. Um, what is undeniable in the world of purpose is the blending of for-profit and non-profit vehicles. Like there is no going back. We are no longer siloed between this binary, what I call uh, two-pocket thinking. We are truly in a in a in an era of one-pocket thinking, where how we spend, give, invest, and and earn is, is very much a one-pocket exercise. We are no longer thinking, oh, I'll earn my money here and then I'll give it away over here. We're, it, that's a very robber baron mentality, right? We are no longer in that. We are in a one-pocket mindset, and so whether that's acknowledged or not with the family up front. We're seeing the effect of that influence in multiple ways. So being able to uh, use various examples, uh, combine generational experiences and, and share those experiences and help people really understand what that one pocket thinking means for them and define it and then execute on it is, is, is fairly new. And it's an exciting time and there's, there's a lot more to come. This it's such a rich conversation. There's so many places to go with it. Uh, I think that the part I want to highlight is something that I'm really present to right now. I just spent a few days with my 88 year old father, and I'm presenting next week at the family, um, the Financial Therapy Associations conference on uh, the power of storytelling in families towards building resilience and self esteem. And I ended up taking some time with my father to ask him some questions related to historical events and what are all the different things that led him to where he is right now. And I'm really blessed that he's mentally competent, physically well, and we are able to have these conversations. And uh, I'm thinking about a client that I worked with um, years ago whose father was running a successful business and nobody in the family was working in it. And he had a stroke and he was no longer able to run the business. And she was a social worker at the time. And she stepped in because nobody else in the family felt competent to, and the mother was completely devastated. And she learned on the fly how to run the business. She had to deal with a uh, union. She had to deal with a very do male-dominated field. She grew tremendously, but the whole goal was to get it to a point to be able to sell it. And she never had the conversations with her father around what he had wanted, what lessons he'd learned, how he'd gotten there. And so I think if I lift any any highlighted one thing, it would be share your stories, share your stories and talk to the people in your family about what matters most to you, about what you want for them and what, and what you'd want them to be considering in the possibility of um, selling the business or keeping it in the family. And one of the things we do at the Institute is we work with a um, like award-winning documentary uh, level uh, videographer and also a memoirist around how to capture those stories and how to train the younger generations, the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren in doing the interviewing and curating the questions and capturing all that information and mindshare that can get lost and unfortunately does get lost often because there's this sense of, you know, I'm going to do this forever and I don't have to worry about it. And it's about like really taking the time to capture those and those thoughts and the history. And then that creates the foundation for all the things we talked about today in terms of what is it, where we are now and what do we want to create. Thank you so much for uh, joining me on uh, this episode. Thank you for your input. And um, as we say, the, highlighting the importance of the um, collaborative uh, approach. Uh, I look forward to 
uh, speaking with you all again soon. Thank you. Thank you, Russ. Thanks so much, Russ. So that concludes this two-part interview with the team from PNC Private Bank Hawthorne. As a reminder, if you do want to find out more about their work and to get in touch with them um, to discuss this episode in more detail, you can visit their website, which is hawthorne.pnc.com. Thank you for listening. If you found this episode useful, please share it with friends and family. And it would be great if you could leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It helps the show get found by others who are looking for help and support with owning or running their family business. If you are looking for support with a particular challenge, you can head to fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ and find out more about how I may be able to help. Until next time, take care.